Father, that you would help us to continue to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Help us not to take this for granted anytime we come to church, not only with the saints, but we're with you and with the Spirit of God moving and flowing. And we don't want to grieve you, Holy Spirit. We don't want to quench the Holy Spirit in this place, in this house, in our house, our body, our life as a Christian. And so, God, we pray that you would help us right now just to talk to you silently under our breath and just say things like, I love you, God. I thank you, God, for all that you're doing in my life. I thank you for the salvation that you've given me. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for guiding my life, for forgiving me, for restoring me, for helping me get back up on my feet again, for bringing me back to the Father because I've been so far away from God. All of those things. Lift those quietly before the Lord. We pray, God, that tonight is fruitful. We want, Lord, to see you move in all of our lives. Continue to move through the worship, the word of God, the fellowship of the saints, the prayers, and the training time that we're going to have, and the dinner we're going to have together later. In Jesus' mighty name, now God's people say, amen. You may be seated. I think it's fitting to uh, just give thanks to the Lord. This is our last night at Burke's. And so, uh, yeah, it's, it's exciting. It's been a year a year on Sunday nights, and it's not an easy thing to try to plant or replant a church during the, the evening. And so most people are used to going to church in the mornings, and, and so we've been doing it at 5 o'clock for a year now, a little over a year. It burks here a year. And so what can we give thanks for just for being at this church and what God has done in the last year? Does anything come to mind where you can be thankful to God? And you might be new to here to harvest in this building, but if you've been here for a while— with us, or maybe you're new, and you just sense that God, you know, be thankful for this, as you're able to be here at Burks. Will anything come to mind at all? Yeah. Yeah, financially, it was just a huge blessing, because we were paying, what, 1800 bucks up in Muhlenberg at Riverview, and then here was 700 So what's that? Do the math. Who's good at math? Uh-huh. 1100 I can do that one. That's not too hard. <laughs> so that was a blessing, the finances. Any other blessing? being here at Burks in the last year. Yeah. Yeah, that's a huge blessing. If we didn't have this meeting place, uh, if we didn't move from Muhlenberg down to here, uh, we don't know about all the new people that have come from the south up, right? And so I give thanks for that. I was thinking about that just yesterday, about being here. This would be our last Sunday night. And just so thankful that God in his providence rearranged and moved us down to this spot. Because if that didn't happen, I don't know if I would have known so many great and wonderful people that have been coming up from the South. South, not like South Carolina, North Carolina. They're not coming that far to harvest. Like Morgantown, Elverson. Anything else that you want to give thanks for? Being at Burks. Where's that? I'm sorry. I hear a voice in the back. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's been a great journey. This is just the beginning, though. Just truly the beginning. Let's take our Bibles go to Matthew chapter 10. I want to look at four verses with you on building ministry teams. That's our theme for tonight, building ministry teams. And Jesus had a great, great team. In fact, the best team ever. And so we're going to look at Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 to 4. And this is where he selected his apostles. Some versions will say disciples, but these more specific is his apostles, his 12. You'll see that in verse 1. Matthew chapter 10, and we'll look at verses 1 down to verse 4. God needs to be thanked regularly. Amen? And we thank him for Burks, and we're just going to continue to pray for this church, this struggling church, and 
uh, we've sent out invitations. My wife and I have sent out, I don't know, 40 or 50 different invitations for our launch. And, and some of those were Burke's Bible people that we've gotten close to. And so we'll see if they come. If they don't, that's fine. But we need to continue to pray for Burke's Bible Church. They've been dear to me. I love them. Preached here many times in the last year. And so I just, I, I want uh, what God wants for them. Verse 1, follow me through the text as I read out loud. And he called to him to his 12 disciples, and he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and who's the last one on the list? Judas Iscariot. Good guy or bad guy? Yeah, bad guy. It says there, who betrayed him? Wouldn't you just hate to have your name in the Bible with that following it? You betrayed Christ. There's Jesus' team. There's his team. But before we talk about the text and go through it and get some principles on team and ministry teams, we cannot not talk about the greatest football team in all of the world. And it is the Philadelphia Eagles, amen? We should have broke out an amens right there real loud. Somebody asked me just recently, my wife and I are from New England, and they said, so are you New England Patriots fans? And, and honestly, never really followed football up in New England. Uh, until we came down here and people were saying, it's Eagles or else we will kill you and bury you out back of the church. And so we became Philadelphia Eagles fans. Now, I grew up in Delaware, so I was a Philadelphia Phillies fan. Didn't really follow football back in those days, but now truly am a Philadelphia Eagles fan. They are an amazing team, and they played, and let me just say this, a number two <laughs> amazing team, which are the New England Patriots. Great franchises. Tremendous, tremendous teams. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever played on a team? Anybody did team sports before? Raise your hand. What did you play? Joanna, what did you play? Volleyball, teams, who else? A lot of hands went up. Just say them out loud. Of course, come on. What, you're seven feet tall, right? What are you going to do? I guess it could be like badminton or something now. Anybody else? Teams? Soccer and volleyball, real quick. Football. Who is football? Who is that? Oh, coming from the back. Nice, man. Anybody else? Football. Baseball? No baseball? They don't like baseball in Pennsylvania? Come on. What's up with that? How about a ministry team, other than Jesus's, which we'll look at. This past week, uh, one of my heroes, Billy Graham, went to, to be with Jesus in heaven. Truly one of the greatest men that has ever lived. And his wife, Ruth, just a, a tremendous lady. And I've written, uh, wrote, wrote, I've read, it's been a long weekend, my wife and I moved. We're just a little bit tired. And so, read some of his books, obviously followed his ministry through the years. Uh, and then watched the funeral, and it was, a, you know, just felt like I was just absorbed in that whole thing. And so Billy Graham's legacy and his life that he lived was tremendous. And as I was watching the funeral, I'm thinking to myself, uh, Lord, to have a life that would be that long and love Jesus and have integrity and love your wife and his kids went off the rails a little bit here and there, but they're all back, and they're all walking with the Lord. And you know, It was just, just an amazing life. But he had a ministry team. George Beverly Shea. He had Grady Wilson and Cliff Barrows. These are the early days. And these men were a team. 
for about 60 years. Can you imagine having a team and living life together for 60 years? In fact, they built houses around themselves and grew old together. Billy Graham was quoted in a book titled Billy Graham Evangelist to the World, and I'm going to quote him. He said, it's been a team effort, not just a Billy Graham effort. In the beginning, we were just three or four simple people. We still are simple, who didn't know any better than to trust the Lord. Think about that. This is harvest. You know, we're not going to always get it right here. And we don't know any better sometimes. But if we can just trust the Lord, how great would our life be? How great our teams would be, how our church would be in reaching people. Amen? So what was it about Billy's team? What was it about the Eagles' team? What is it about the apostles that Jesus had selected in Matthew chapter 10? Let's go through this text. I want to show you five truths on teamwork, five truths on ministry impact, lifelong fruitfulness as a church. And so here's where they are. They're in the text. I'm going to show them to you. Verse 1, and here's number 1. Ministry teams serve for Christ, with Christ, and by Christ. That's number 1. If you want to be on a team, ministry team, if you want to be in the mission of God, flowing in the Spirit of God, to do unbelievable things in making disciples and church planting, it has to be here. It has to be in verse 1. It has to be for Christ. It has to be for his glory and for his honor. And so if you're in Harvest Kids Nursery, you're not just babysitting kids. You're doing that for the glory of God. You're doing that to honor him. You're doing it for his name. You're doing it in Connections. You're doing it at Harvest Worship or any of the other ministries, teams. You're doing it for Christ. You're doing it with Christ. You're in partnership with him. And you're doing it by Christ under his leadership. Look at verse 1. And he. Look at that. Stop right there. Who's the he? Who is it? It's Jesus. It starts with him. It'll end with him. It's all about him. And so any ministry team, and this is what you heard Billy Graham say, if you watched any of the clips, if you've watched any of his life, he would only say it's all about Jesus. Greg Laurie, who's another great evangelist, was sitting in the front seat of a car. They had just been at the crusade together, and Greg Laurie and Billy have known each other for quite a few years. And so Greg's in the front seat. There's a driver, Billy in the back. Franklin's next to him. And so Greg Laurie's a young evangelist. God is using him around the world, around the country, and he turns around to Billy Graham and wants to say something really, you know, really encouraging. He says, Billy, that was a great message. You really preached a great message. And Billy says, it's just the gospel. And so Greg's kind of like, oh. He just turned around and just kind of kept quiet for a while. And then he turned around again a little bit later and just said something else about his message. And Billy said, it's just the gospel. He wouldn't take any accolades. He wouldn't, he wouldn't take that, that glory that's for Christ and put it on himself. I don't know if you knew this, but he and Ruth have been buried in some pine boxes, coffins made by prisoners from Angola prison. That's their ministry down in Angola. They make caskets for prisoners, and so Ruth wanted to be buried in one of those caskets. A simple, simple casket made by these prisoners who had since come to Christ through the ministry of Billy Graham, and now Billy was buried in one too. Why? It's all about Jesus, and any glory that would want to come towards them, they want to deflect that and move it away 
and put it back towards the Savior. That's what ministry is really all about. If you want the anointing on any church or any ministry, it has to be about him, not us. Would you agree with that? It has to start there. And this is where Jesus is mentioning that he, text, the inspired word of God, is saying that he is the one. It's about Christ. It's Christ-centeredness. Any great team, obviously the Eagles won the championship. And can you imagine if they didn't have any of their coaches? Can you imagine if none of the managers or the coaches were on the sidelines with them? It would be ridiculous. They wouldn't be able to play, probably wouldn't be able to win without their coaches. It's the same thing with Jesus. He's not just our coach, he's our manager, but way, way, way more than that. He's the Savior. He's the Savior. And so ministry teams start with, is it for Christ's glory? Is it with him in partnership with him? And is it by Christ or by his leadership? Number two. Secondly, it's out of a calling from Christ. Look at the verse. It's out of a calling from Christ. And he, what's the next word? He called. He called. Stop there. Now, when someone important to you calls you, do you pick up? Do you answer the phone? Do you push the button there on your iPhone? How many people say yes? If it's somebody that, that I really want to talk to, that, that I'm really excited about, how many people would say yes, I usually pick up? And it's like, Pastor Chris, you'll be like, yeah, I'll definitely want to talk to him, right? No? Or you're going to just say no, just decline that one. How about a telemarketer? You know it's a telemarketer. How many people are saying, I'm just so enthusiastic to talk to a telemarketer, I'm going to answer that call right now? Nobody does. And so here's a call from God. Jesus is calling his apostles. He's calling them. There's some calls that we need to understand. First, the call to be a Christian. Romans 1, 6 says, this is Paul talking, we are called to belong to Jesus Christ. In 1, 7, called to be saints or Christians. But beyond the calling to be a Christian, there's a call to service. 1, 1 of Romans, Paul said, I'm called to be an apostle. In 1 Corinthians 1, 1, he said, I'm called to be an apostle. There's a calling. In Ephesians 4, 11 to 13, 1 Peter 2, 9 to 4, 9 to 11, pardon me, you have Paul and Peter talking about a mission call. Jesus said in Matthew 4, 19, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That's a present imperative. That's an active. That is a verb. Jesus is saying, you're following me. As, as you're following me, I'm making you a fisher of men. I'm, I'm on mission with you. You're on mission with me. We're making disciples and planting churches. We're seeing converts. That's what he's talking about. We're fulfilling what he wants us to do. We are called to do this. We're going to look at it like this. Jim Collins wrote a book, and he's, uh, I don't know if he's a believer. I'm not sure about Jim Collins. He's a business consultant, but I read his book, Good to Great, many years ago, and it had some great principles about leadership in it. And he gives the illustration of a bus, and the bus is, is uh, picking up people, and people need to get on the bus, and they get on the bus, and they get on the bus with each step or each stop. And then once they get on the bus, it's important that they get in the right seat. So he's using this metaphor, this picture of a bus. Harvest is like a bus. And we're traveling. And as we're traveling, people are getting on the bus. But that's not enough. For ministry to have its greatest impact, everybody needs to be in the right seat on the bus. And so for me, if, if, if I were to, at the beginning of our service tonight, I said, Scott, let me just take over. Let me just handle this worship part of it. You know, and so I took up the guitar, which I do not know how to play. 
and I would sing, which I do not know how to sing, you would know immediately that I'm on the bus, but I'm not in the right seat on the bus. That's with everyone. So you're on the bus if you call Harvest Reading your home, right? So what seat are you on? So you might be in the wrong seat, right? You ever got in the seat when you were growing up? This is way back in the 80s here now. I'm going to date myself. I'd get on the school bus, and there was this guy that was jacked, man. He was huge. And I didn't grow tall until later in life, so I was a little tiny guy in Kent. I think his first name was like Clark, and he was like Superman. He was huge and scary. And he got on the bus. He said, that's my seat. Get out. Of course, I would move. And so I was not in the right seat, at least according to Kent. We need to find our seat. What is it? Well, it's going to come with a calling. Where does God want you? And it's not because Pastor Chris or Scott or Ben with Harvest Kids is in need of somebody, but God's going to say something to you and say, you need to be here. This is where I want you. I want you to serve. It might not be forever. You might not be serving there for you know, years and years and years, but you'll be serving somewhere on a team because God has called you to do that. My wife and I, people ask, so what brought you to Reading? And they don't usually say it like that. When they, people in the community, not in this church, but in people in the community, we say, well, we just moved here. You moved to Reading? Why? I mean, this is not like you're moving to Lake Tahoe or you're moving to San Diego, which is the best weather in the country. Why would you move to Reading? Do you know why we moved to Reading? Guess what it is? What do you think it is? God called us to. God called us to. That's why we're here. Specifically, where are you called to at Harvest Reading? Number three, ministry teams must realize that we are to be with Christ. Here's number three, to be with Christ. You'll notice in the text, it's to him. We're called to him. The apostles were being called to a person to be with him, to hear him, to watch him, to receive from him all that they would need to do what he has asked them to do. So we have the same kind of relationship with Jesus. Not, with, not, not this relationship like the apostles had in the sense of being an apostle. That's a positional, that's a formal apostleship. That's big letter A, and there's no more apostles in that regard. But there are apostles, small case S, which simply means sent ones. And so we're all sent ones, so we're all apostles in some way, but not like Peter, John, and the others. And so they were called to Christ, and we're also called to him. Now, ministry can be intimidating. Any kind of ministry can be intimidating. Some of you have been asked to do things, and you're just, you push back a little bit, and you're like, oh, no, I don't know if I could do that. I remember many years ago, I was at Liberty with Lisa. We were just dating at the time, and we were helping out in youth ministry, and I was helping a youth pastor from Thomas Road Baptist Church. And so Rob said to me, and I'm nervous, I'm scared to death, hadn't done any ministry ever, and he goes, would you, would you lead this game? It was a ridiculous game to try to get like an icebreaker game, and he goes, Chris, would you lead this for me? And I just got nervous and scared, and I said, I can't do that. And so I pulled back, pushed back from that, and didn't help out Rob in youth ministry because I was intimidated, and I was scared. I was afraid of failure. I was afraid that somebody would look at me, and I wouldn't meet their expectations. I had all of those things running through me, but if only I would have realized that I was called to him, that Jesus would have strengthened me, that he would have given me peace, that he would have spoken through me, that he would have used me, and I couldn't experience all of that because of the fear 
and the insecurity that was in my life. So God's going to call you to do something tonight, maybe, and you're going to have a pushback. You're going to go like, I, I, no, I, I don't know if I can do that. That's scary. I'm going to encourage you to push past that. Don't do what I did those years ago because you'll miss out on what God wants to do through you. We're called to him. It's a wonderful calling. Jesus is there to give us the strength. He's there to speak to us and to walk with us through the ministry and to help us all along the way. He will not leave us alone. He never has. Number four, ministry teams need to be under the power of Christ, the power of Christ. You'll notice in the text, he called to him his 12 disciples, and he gave them. He gave them authority over unclean spirits. Now here is this power that's given to the apostles, and they're going to they're gonna cast demons out. I don't want to get into the debate whether Christians can cast demons out. There's lots of debates about that. I do fall into various camps, but that's not the time to talk about that. What I want you to see here is that there's power that Jesus gives to them for his teams so that they can be on mission together and do what they've been called to do. And we need power. We need supernatural help. God is going to give every person on a ministry team at Harvest the abilities to do what he has called them, called you to do. He wouldn't say, Dave, I want you to do this. You're on your own. He just wouldn't do that. He's going to fill you with the Spirit. He's going to guide you. He's going to give you wisdom. He's going to enable you. Your ability will come. He never leaves you powerless. He gives you everything that you need to get the job done. When I was hired at a very well-known, in fact, it's the number one supplement company in the world without mentioning names, I remember being sorely lacked in training. And they were going to put me on the front lines. And I remember saying to my managers, I am not ready for this. And they said, you're ready. I said, I'm not ready. I'm telling you, I'm not ready for this. And I knew myself enough to know that I was right and they were wrong. And sure enough, they pushed me into it and it was, it was a train wreck. We had people coming in and retail world, if you've ever worked retail, you get some really, really nice people and then you get some really, really lousy people. And so I'm, a, I'm just not prepared for it. I'm not equipped. I'm not trained. And we had lines and lines of people, and I'm making mistake after mistake, and they're dropping F-bombs at me and running out the store and screaming and spitting at me. It was awful. That would not be Jesus in you. That would not be the Lord. He will give you everything that you need to do what he's called you to do. Power. Number five, finally. Ministry team, so that, number five, so that lives can be transformed in Christ. I love this. To cast out and to heal. To cast out and to heal. I remember being called in on a, on a, a demonic possession situation. This is years and years ago. And so I w- we were called into this situation, and this woman was having voices coming out of her, and certainly not her voices. And it wasn't something I was used to, and very intimidating, very scary. And so they went through some prayer with her and and tried to cast that demon out. I want you to know something about demon possession. I do believe it happens. I don't believe that a Christian can be possessed. I do think a Christian can be oppressed. There's a difference there. But the apostles, they were given this power, this anointing, 
Lives were being transformed. People that were demon-possessed were being delivered. That can happen today. I'm not doubting that for one bit. It says that they were healing people. Every affliction. Again, there's a debate as to whether we can do exactly like the apostles could do. I don't want to get into that right now. All I see here in the text for this moment is lives are being transformed. Lives are being changed. People were being incredibly, incredibly changed for the glory of God. Physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, their families, their neighbors, their friends, and the same thing can happen today. So what's the key to reaching, what's the key to reaching people? You want to reach your family? You know what the, the first thing you need to have happen if you want to reach your kids? You want to reach your neighbors, the people that you work with, the people in our towns and our cities? It's you. It's you. When the Spirit of God gets a hold of us, me, Jeff, Weston, Gary, when the Spirit of God comes and fills us and we're overwhelmed with who Christ is and we love him, we're not perfect, we trip and fall, but we get back up again and we keep walking. It starts with us. If you want to see your family changed, it won't happen when you're just praying for them, but your own life isn't being lived the way that Christ has called you to live. The first priority that I have at Harvest Reading is what? It's me. It's my walk. If I'm more concerned with Weston's walk and I'm forgetting about my walk, it's not going to help him any if I'm not doing well and I'm not humble and, and trying to be holy and loving and a servant. If you want impact, don't look out there. Look here first as a church. We're not looking out there first. We're looking here. How strong are we? How healthy are we? How anointed are we? How humble are we? How holy are we? That's where you start. The apostles were an amazing team. Obviously, the world has been impacted by Jesus' team. The Roman Empire was turned around. And I really believe that Reading can be turned around. I really do. I really do. I drive the streets of Reading, and I'm looking at this city. I'm going, this city's a mess. It's just a mess. It's, it's literally a mess. I mean, the, the litter is everywhere. It's just dirty. But that's indicative of a problem that's inside of the heart. There's no respect. People aren't full of hope, and they're not full of happiness, and they're not full of joy, and they're not full of peace. And we have the answer to that. It's the gospel. So what God is doing with us is taking us public. Next week, we go to two soft launches and then launch Sunday on the 25th. We're going public. We need strong ministry teams. We need people like you who will commit and say, I want to plug in. Plug me in. I want to do this. I want to do that. We've got harvest worship. Harvest worship is so important. They need to stay vertical, and they, they do such a phenomenal job underneath Scott. Phenomenal job, doesn't he? Doesn't God do something through that that? And he's wanting to build that team larger with musicians and drummers and bass players. So if you know how to play any kind of instrument, other than the spoons, man, I mean, we need, we need something like real instruments, you know? Something like those. Worship is huge. High-impact worship services at Harvest Reading. Keep it vertical, Scott. I know that he will. We have talks all the time about that. Harvest Kids, under, 
Ben's leadership. Ben's doing a great job. We need people that will love children. Children need to know about Jesus. Some of their moms and dads don't know about Jesus in Reading, and we have the opportunity to tell their little boys and girls about Jesus. And we will not be able to have an effective church without Harvest Kids. It just won't happen. People will come with families. They'll come in the front door at Fox Theater, and if there's no Harvest Kids that's alive and thriving and loving leaders, workers who love the kids, it will not grow. It just won't. We need to stack Harvest Kids strong. How about usher greeters? Aren't they important? Right? Your first impression is the person that you're going to see at the front door. And if they're grumpy and they have bad breath and food stuck in their teeth and a boogie hanging out their nose, you're going to look at that and you're going to go like, you know what, there's issues at this church. I don't want to go here. You would think that. You would. That's the practicality of how important it is for a greeter on the front door to be loving, kind, open countenance, Hey, welcome to Harvest Reading with a handshake. Be careful with hugs and know your boundaries and all of that kind of thing. There's appropriateness. But greeters are massively important. They're the first impression. They will not even get to the preaching or harvest worship if they can't get past the first person at the door. I remember going to a Home Depot, and they had, it was a brand-new Home Depot. They were so fired up. They were so excited about their grand opening. But the problem with that is they had 20 of their orange-smocked people at, right there in front of me as I walked in, 20 of them. I'm looking at them like, what in the world? Did I do something wrong? Am I under arrest? I haven't stolen anything, I promise you. I haven't even been in the store yet. It was crazy. It's an overkill. All we need is one to two people at the front doors and then at the auditorium doors and different places. Greeting, ushering, loving people. Huge ministry. How about connections? Led by Linda Austin. Such an important ministry. It's a small little ministry. It's, it's that area where there's going to be answers to questions that people might have about Harvest Reading. Materials are going to be given out. But more importantly than that, again, it's this front line. Before they ever get to me or they ever get to Scott and the worship team, they're seeing Linda, who's a wonderful person. Frontline person's huge. We need to build that team bigger, stronger. And there's going to be people that are going to come to that little area that we're going to have called Connections, and they're going to be wondering about our church. But even more than that, they might be struggling with something. They might need somebody to pray with them. Imagine somebody coming in going, I haven't been in church in 20 years. I'm afraid the building's going to collapse on me. I've had people say that through the years of ministry. And all they really needed was a hug, and they needed somebody to talk to them and pray with them because they had a tear in their eye, and they're having things going on in their life that's hard. That's connections. It's just not handing out a bulletin. It's not handing out a harvest essentials. It's not just handing out a mug that has our logo on it. It's a person connection. Very important. How about Vertical Cafe, led by the maze, Darren and Amy? That's hospitality. That's just not coffee. That's a connection in itself. So they got Linda and they got the maze. Man, this is like tag team here. And these people are going to come in and they're going to feel like they're number one, which they ought to feel like. You're saying Jesus is number one. Of course. But they need to feel like they're number one. So it's not an unspiritual thing for a church to go, we're going to lift you up and make you feel special. And then they make it into the worship service. The music starts playing. We're worshiping Jesus. The word of God is preached. The spirit of God is drawing them. They're converted. They're healed. They're transformed. It's connections. It's a vertical cafe. It's harvest kids. It's ushers and greeters and harvest worship. It's all of it. 
ministry team impact. If you're new to Harvest, tonight might be your first night. We're going to be dividing up after our last worship song into our ministry teams. I'm going to encourage you. You're saying, well, I just, I'm new here. I'm just, this is my first night. Come on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You're a little bit over the top. Well, go visit one of those. Just visit it. That's all. Sit down. Introduce yourself to the leader. Just listen to what they have to say. And more than that, listen to what the Holy Spirit tells you. Pick one of them. We're going to be spread all over the place. There's Harvest Worship's going to be in this room. Harvest Kids is going to be upstairs where the kids are. Usher Greeters is going to be in this room over here next to the nursery. Connections is going to be over here in this little tiny room where we count the money. We have storage at the top of the ramp on the right. Vertical Cafe is going to be upstairs in the kitchen conference room. Pick one. Don't leave. Help us out. It could be your first night tonight. It doesn't matter. Let's worship the Lord with one more song. And following that, I got some announcements, and then we'll split up. So let's worship with the song. Let's pray. Let's ask the Lord to build teams here at Harvest that impact a lot like Jesus' 